journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shavua Tov and welcome everybody to another trip of a lifetime. We are transversing the words of the book of Genesis, particularly uh, chapter 27. That's where we're going to be kicking off. We're in the Parsha of Toldot and we're now going to be coming to a very, very exciting part of uh, this Parsha in particular. And this is a continuation of what we did not last week, but the week before when good old Aesop came in very hungry, wanted to eat something, and he traded his birthright for a pot of lentils. And uh, we spoke extensively then about uh, the repercussions of that and how those repercussions actually follow up all the way until today's times. And um, we had a little bit of a break last week because the narrative changed and started um, discussing a little bit about the life of his father Yitzhak, now we are back on to the main theme, and that is the relationship uh, between Yaakov and Esau, between Jacob and Esau, and now we are actually going to see how swallowing that that, that, that plate of lentils, uh, momentarily satisfying yourself, had incredible effects on what Esau, what Esau gets from his father Isaac now in terms of Blessing. So, would love you to join into the chat if you would like to ask a question or, or, or you have a comment on what we are discussing. 34519 is the SMS number. 061-895-1019 is our telegram line. And if uh, you're sitting in the comfort of your, of your home, you're not driving at this point in time, what better way then but to follow in the actual text. text. So, if you do have a a Chumash of five books of Moses in front of you. It's chapter 27 of Genesis. And uh, we're going to now lay the foundation. We're going to lay the scene as to how now swallowing that uh, uh, plate of lentils actually affected what Esau gets, um, not only for himself, but for, for, for all generations to come up to this very, very day. So let's let's jump right in. We're going to look at verse 1. Vayahi, and it was, Ki zaken Yitzchok, Yitzchok grew old, Vatichena enab merot, his eyesight faded. Vayikra et Esav benoh hagadol, so he called to Esav, his elder son, Vayomer elav, and he said, Bani, my son, Vayomer Elav, and uh, Esav responded, Hineni, here I am. Very, very simple. This is what I love about learning Torah, is that it's very concise, very precise. Um, it doesn't say a lot, basically. He's old, his eyesight has, has faded. He calls his elder son, uh, Esav, my son, and Esau responds, I am here. But when we start looking in the oral Torah and we are going to look at uh, what, is, what, is, what is actually happening from the Midrash point of view, we actually see a tremendous amount of insight, which I am going to be sharing with you today. So the first thing is that we know um, at this point in time, 
when Yitzchak, um, eyes, eyes have become dim, he is in fact 123 years old. Just to give you a bit of historical context, it's the year 2171-2171. In the Hebrew calendar, it's 1590 before the Common Era, okay? And um, basically, his, his, his eyesight had faded. Now, he wasn't completely old. Um, because in those days, people didn't suffer from the infirmities of old age, not even, believe it or not, says the Midrash, not even from a thing called a headache. So our question is, why did his eyesight go? Why did he have faded eyesight? Well, the Midrash actually gives nine reasons as to why Yitzchak lost his eyesight. So let's actually understand all of that. The first is, is that... Uh, Yitzchok, I mean, sorry, Esau actually, um, Esau's wives worshipped idols. Now, uh, one of the things that I realize as I'm talking to you right now is that I left out the last two verses of the previous, uh, previous story with Yitzchok, and I'm just going to go to them now just to refer to them. But it's basically about the marriage of Asaph. So then we'll understand why Yitzhak's eyes became dim. It says, by Yehi Asaph ben Arbaim Shana, Asaph was 40 years old. By Yikach Isha, so he took a wife at Yehudit, but Be'erihachiti. He took a, a, a daughter by the name of Yehudit, um, who was the daughter of Be'eri, the Chetite. Ve'et Bosmat ben Elon Hachiti. And also another wife called Bosmat, the daughter of Elon Hachiti. And they became a source of spiritual embitterment to Isaac and Rebekah, to Yitzhak and Rivka. So Esau was pretending to be very, very pious. He was in fact, um, he, he was, in fact, trying to copy his father because his father got married at, at 40, so he did the same. But we know that before he married, he had engaged in all sorts of sexual immorality. And now um, he lands up taking two wives. But they were not very – they didn't come from very good stock. They came from a place that did a lot of idol worship. Um, and, in fact, the Midrash gives a very cute little story uh, not story or a little marshal to explain, um, explain the woman that Asab married. The, the Midrash goes and says that, um, in the time of Rabbi Chia, there was a, um, there was a species of birds that immigrated to the Holy Land. And the rabbis didn't know how to determine, uh, whether or not it was kosher. And Rabbi Chia said to them, you know what? isolate one on the roof and then go and see what kind of birds associate with it. So they listen to Rebchia, they put the bird on the, on the, uh, on the, what's the name? On the, um, roof and immediately a raven, which is not kosher, joined the bird. Uh, and then the rabbi saw that if a raven is joining the bird, uh, this bird is, is not kosher. So the, they went and said, okay, we understand that now. So why is the Midrash giving this example? Because that was the same with regard to Asa when he married wicked women. They worshipped idols and they were very aggrieved because what happened was that the divine presence left 
um, left the home of Yitzhak and Rivka because of because of that. So that is uh, that is that is really the story over there. So now let's go back and let's work out um, why. Um, Isaac got got blinded or his eyesight faded. So the first reason given is exactly because of what I just told you. Asaph's wives worshipped idols. And it said that the smoke from the incense that they burned actually made caused Isaac Yitzchak to lose his eyesight. So that's the first reason. The second is, uh, and you can refer back again to Parashat Chayesara, where we spoke about the fact that Abraham, um, Abraham asked that God give a sign before one dies that one becomes old so you could distinguish between a young person and an old person. Then what happened was that Yitzchak prayed that people should, should, should suffer before they died so that they, they will know to atone for their sins and be worthy of the world to come. Yaakov said, please don't wait till the end of life because then who knows how many sins we've done and how much we will suffer. Rather give us suffering throughout life so we can repent all the time. So here the Midrash goes and explains that because Yitzchak asked that he should suffer before he should die so he will know um, when they will, that, that, that his time of death will, will be coming, coming by, he lost his eyesight. And that's what happened to him. The third reason, and remember I told you there are nine, the third reason was that he often would gaze into the face of Asaph. And it's a great sin to gaze at the face of a wicked person. And it says one who does so loses his eyesight. So that's three reasons. There's another uh, three. I said to you that there, there, were, there, seven, there were seven or eight of them. So we're going to carry that after the break. But before we go to the break, in case you didn't know, February 1st is Car Insurance Day. And it's the perfect reminder to reevaluate your current car insurance. You can SMS OUT, O-U-T, to 40251 or call 008600-600-00 for a quote and our insurance could save you money. If they can't, you can ask them for 500 Rand or 1500 Rand if you've been claim free within the, with, with the same insurer for three years. So that's OUT to 40251 or call 08-600-6000. And let the celebrations begin, because Outurance is a licensed insurer and FSP. T's and C's apply, and standard rates apply, and free SMSs. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back, and we're looking at the reasons why Yitzchak's eyes got dim. So just before the break, we said one... Asaph's wives worshipped idols. Two, uh, Yitzchak asked for 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 uh, uh, punishment um, before or have some sign that that he was going to die. And third, because he gazed into the face of Asaph. The fourth is it says that Yitzchak loved Asaph more than Yaakov because Yaakov brought him delicacies. And as it says in Deuteronomy, okay, bribery blinds the eyes of the wise. So it seemed that on one level, Yitzchok was somewhat bribed by the fact 
that Asaph always was bringing him like really nice things to eat, and therefore uh, Yitzchok deserved this punishment. Now, uh, we know that what Yitzchok would hypocritically do is he would come to his father and ask him all sorts of questions on how, say, for example, to tithe straw. When everybody knows that the law is there's no tithing of straw, he would bring Yitzchak food every day, etc., etc. Now, you know, when it says when a person's vision becomes weak, he can no longer discern things properly. And so this was like an ongoing thing of uh, Asaph slowly wearing his father down until he not only became physically blinded, but he came um, he became spiritually blinded to the fact that Asa was in fact a good for nothing and not the pious man that he pretended to be. There's a, a an interesting story just teaching us um, how one needs to be very, very careful not to get blinded because when one does that, then one can make a misjudgment. The Talmud tells the story of Rabbi Yishmael, who was the son of Rabbi Yossi. He had a sharecropper that would bring to his home a box of his choicest fruit every Friday. Now, one week, this sharecropper came to the house of Rabbi Yishmael with a fruit on a Thursday. So when Rabbi Yishmael asked him why it was early, he said, I have a case in court, and I'm, I'm trying to get a, a decision against a certain man. And since the court convenes on Thursday, I decided to take, to, to take care of two things at the same time. Rabbi Shmuel replied to him, I will therefore not receive your fruit, but I am also going to now disqualify myself from judging your case, because what you have done now is equivalent to a bribe, and I'm going to give your case now to two other judges. So that's what he did, and uh, he went to just be a spectator while this case was being tried, and while the case was in progress, Rabbi Shmuel was listening, and every time things went badly for the sharecropper, he thought to himself, well, if he had used such an argument, um, he would surely have won. And when, he when the whole case was concluded, Rabbi Shmuel said, see how terrible it is for a judge to take bribes. I didn't take any fruit from the sharecroppers, but had I taken it, it would not have been of any benefit to me because since he sent it to me, sent me the fruit the next day, next day anyway, I, I still would have landed up on his side and this innocuous, like small innocuous gift um, allowed my judgment um, to be incorrect. So he actually saw and he understood that uh, you are not, you've got to be very, very, particular about taking a bribe. And I think that this is just something that one should keep in mind when one is listening to, you know, two sides of an argument, that if one doesn't have uh, the capabilities of, um, of, of, of judging really completely objectively, that one should rather excuse oneself, because this is now what happened with, with Yitzchak and Asaph. So that is the fourth reason. The fifth reason is that divine providence arranged for Yitzchak to go blind so that Yaakov would be able to take the blessing. Um, and it really was just the way circumstances worked themselves out, and that's how, how, how God wanted it to be, so that Yaakov could indeed get the blessings. The fifth, uh, the sixth reason was a, a very interesting one, and that's again taking us back a little bit, 
when Abraham, Yitzchak's father, was in the land of the Prishtim, and I remember Abimelech took Sarah and he received a terrible punishment, and that you can go look back in the Pasha of Ayera, we discussed it a lot. He felt very bad that Abraham had tricked him by saying that Sarah was his sister, and the Midrash goes and tells us that he cursed Abraham, that his son will be blind. And now this is why uh, Yitzchak became blind, the curse was fulfilled. And what does this teach us? This teaches us that how, uh, this teaches how much one must avoid being cursed even by the most common of men. The seventh reason why he became blind was that Asa uh, was so wicked, he caused Yitzhak to go blind so that he wouldn't see his deeds. Now we know that Asa began sinning when he was only 15 years old, but he wasn't really open about it, and that's why Yitzhak considered him virtuous. But by the time Yitzhak became blind, Asa did so many terrible things that, that people could no longer stand to live with him. It would have looked terrible if, uh, if Yitzhak walked on the streets and would have people pointing him out to be the father of wicked Asa. So God blinded him, meaning that he would not be able to leave his home. And it says this is the way, again, of Hashkocha Pratis, of divine providence. If a person has a wicked child, he can become blind for two reasons. First, because he didn't make sufficient effort to correct him, okay, because we know that as long as a child is young, one can easily be, you can easily influence the kid, and then if the parent lets him do as he pleases, he's punished. But the second is as a kindness, so that the parent would not see him going bad. The eighth reason, um, and the eighth and the ninth reason, um, are, are, are interlinked. The first, the, the eighth, eighth reason for why Yitzhak went blind was that if you recall again, you remember that he was bound up on the altar when uh, Abraham was about to, uh, to, to slaughter him. It says that at that point in time, the angels wept and their tears fell into Yitzhak's eyes. And this weakened his eyesight and eventually caused him to go blind. And also, um, it says that the knife was at his throat and he suffered a traumatic experience and that also led to the loss of his eyesight. So this whole story of the eyesight came from Akedas Yitzchak when there was um, that whole experience. And finally, the ninth reason uh, that, that we're told is that while just before the angels were weeping and their tears fell into Yitzchak's eyes, he had gazed at the divine presence. Now, this is actually a great sin. Um, we know that he was facing upwards, and I guess he couldn't help himself, but he should have closed his eyes voluntarily. Okay, because uh, well, why do we know that? Because in Schwartz, God says, man shall not see me and live. Now, he saw God. He saw the divine presence. So in, in order not to grieve Abraham, Yitzchak was allowed to live, but God punished him with blindness, which is equivalent to death. Again, here... The Midrash goes and gives a, uh, a, a marshal, a parable, um, and says that this is very much likened to the case of a king who's taking a private stroll in his gardens, and suddenly he sees his close friend's son spying on him from one of the windows. And this makes the king obviously extremely angry. How dare one spy on my private affairs? Um, and 
you know, in order to maintain respect, people do not are not supposed to be looking at the king during his private moments. And what was the penalty? The penalty was death. But the king said to himself, if I kill the boy, my close friend will suffer. So instead, I will seal the window, son's window so that he will not be able to repeat the act. And so that's what happened with Yitzchak. So we have nine reasons as to why Yitzchak um, became blind. And I was thinking as, 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 as I was learning this and preparing um, to share with you today that, you know, in life, sometimes we look at things and we ask the question, why? Why me? Why did this happen? Why, why, why? I think it's the shortest uh, amount of letters with the, that requires the biggest answer, the longest answer. And you can see from even here, you could have taken any angle. Uh, Yitzchak became blind because of Esav and he, God spared him and didn't allow him to see it. Yitzchak became blind because he had looked upon the divine presence and the, the angels had wept. Yitzchak became blind because he was bribed. There's, there, there's, so many, there's so many answers to the question why. And as human beings, we can't always answer the question why. We can surmise, we can maybe extrapolate, we can seek counsel, um, but it's better rather to deal with the how or what should we do next as opposed to the why. And even now with, with Yitzhak, Yitzhak was blinded for not one of these reasons, but for all these reasons, which again also goes and shows the intricacy of God's judgment and of what has to happen to a person. And I think that in meditating and thinking about that, I think the most important lesson to learn here is the fact that our lives are intricate and they are complicated and there's a lot of things happening. And when things move in a certain direction or, or, or whatever it is that happens to us, particularly um, on the negative side, even though it should be as equal on the positive side, one should recognize that God is running this world in a very intricate fashion. He's not sitting upstairs minding his own business and once in a while, you know, like opens his one eye and peeks down at the world to see what's, what is happening. But in fact, um, that he is, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's really, it's really, uh, that, that God is running the world and there's a whole lot of intricate reasons. So in one way, one, one, a person who's a believer and a person who understands that God is running the world should just actually give up and throw out the question why to a large extent. You can ask why and, and, and maybe you can surmise and you can find reasons for it. But on a much deeper level, it's God has got it all worked out. There could be numerous reasons why um, that we will never understand. The question is, what do we do about it? So that is really uh, just an intro into the first verse where we know that Yitzchak, um, has, his eyesight has faded, and he calls on his older son, Asaf, who says, Hineni, straight away. Now, just again, to put a little bit more historical um, meat around all of this, this is the day before Pesach in the year 2171. So if you really want to know exactly, it was March the 26th. 1590 before the Common Era. How old was uh, uh, Yitzchok? We went to say he's 123 years old. How old is Jacob and Esau? They are both 63 years old. And this is exactly when it happens. And because Esau had to keep up the facade that he was indeed pious, 
As soon as Yitzchak called him, he said, Hineni, I'm here. What is it that you want from me, dear father? Verse 2 of chapter 27 reads as follows by Yomer. This is Yitzchak speaking now. Hineni zakanti lo yadati yom moiti. Um, I am old, if you please, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. So basically saying, like, I'm, I'm going to die. I'm not exactly sure when I'm going to die, but I think that, I, you know, I kind of, like, need to put my house in order. Now, um, there are seven things we are told um, and we learn that are hidden from man's eyes and that not even the greatest prophet can See then. So let's just go through them so we will know. I think that everybody will agree until we get to point seven. So hang on in there and let's go through them because that, that is point seven now is a, is, is something that we can, we, we can question, but, um, let's go, let's, 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 let's see follows. Right. The first thing we know that is hidden from us is the day of death. Why is the day of our death? hidden from us, because if a person knew when he would die, he probably would die earlier from, from the terror of knowing that he would, that knowing that his life is about to, to end. And furthermore, if a person knew when he was going to die, he would just have a jaw, he would run around, live his life, and know that, oh, okay, it's fine, I will only have to repent, or I'll have to fix up things at the last minute. So basically, um, we don't want somebody to lose interest in the world, we don't want um, to have anything... You know, for them just say, I don't want anything to do with it. Okay. God wants us to live in his world, to flourish and for every, and live every, every day as if it is our last. And so God keeps the point of death away from us so that we are able to just basically stay on our toes and that we, um, we, that, that is kept away from us. The second, which is also very enigmatic, even though we can kind of like see the writing of the wall, I guess you could argue with the first point that for some people who do have a terminal illness, um, they kind of like do see, um, you know, death as a much um, greater, more concrete reality, even though there's many times where people have been told, you, you know, you, you have a terminal illness and they go on to live 20 years. Um, the same thing applies to the second thing that is essentially hidden from us, and that is the time of arrival of Mashiach. Again, if we knew when Mashiach would actually come, number one, either if, if we were completely spiritually connected, we would go out of our minds with grief because we would know that he can't come before the set time and we would lose all hope um, of, of time. And it would be probably pretty exhausting. Ima imagine being the Rambam or being anybody in the 12th century knowing that the world would have to carry till 2021 until Mashiach would come. I don't think too many people could find the motivation to sit and work knowing that in their lifetime they wouldn't see Mashiach. So while we have signs of Mashiach, and I, as, as those of you that know me, I'm a big proponent of looking for those signs and understanding that the world is changing, and I do believe that we're on the precipice of the redemptive era. Nevertheless, nobody, nobody, um, not even the greatest rabbi can go and tell you, no, Mashiach is coming now in one hour, 25 seconds and 30, you know, 25 minutes and 34 seconds. Nobody knows it is going to be a surprise for all of us, which is just a spur. It is a motivation for us to carry on doing what we need to do. So that's the second thing that is kept away from us. 
And hand in hand, the third is that we don't know when the dominance of Edom, of Western civilization, will fall. Well, quite frankly, we're looking at the, at the newspapers, we're looking on social media, and it looks like Western civilization is really going through a huge transformation, and there's cracks everywhere, um, you know, and showing that it, it, it is pretty uh, unstable. But the bottom line is, is that that if we knew when Western civilization would fall, which means we would know when Mashiach would come, then we would have like maybe for the last 10 years or 15 years or 30 years or 70 years not done too much about it. But the fact is that we wait for it every day to watch on the news to see what will happen. That is kept away from us and uh, we still, we still, we still are, are kept in suspense over it. And I'm going to keep you in suspense a little bit more. We're going to go for a short break. And when we get back, we'll discuss the other four things that are hidden from every single man. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Well, I think that was enough of the suspense. What other four things are kept from us? Um, very, very interestingly, the first says the, 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 um, the Torah the depth of law. What does that mean? It means that if everybody would understand the intricacies of the law, not people wouldn't spend much time studying it, right? Everybody would know exactly how to zero in on the truth. And because we don't know it fully, people debate the law until it becomes clear. And that gives us an incentive to be, be partners in building a moral society. Today we are seeing unfortunately, very, very sadly, the suppression of free speech and the ability to debate and the ability to understand, etc., etc. So um, that is something that, 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 that we, we don't know uh, the depth of law and exactly what 100% is the truth and not the truth. Because again, God wants us to be a partner and he wants us to work our way through all of that. The fifth one, is brilliant. I love it. And that is that one does not know the secret to wealth. Yes, yes, yes. We have many, many books telling us to do this, invest like this. You'll have one guy that says, don't go into debt. And the other guy that says, go into debt and leverage everything. Um, you know, our minds go and say, no, you need to be the doctor dentist. The other one goes and says, leave the doctor dentist. You can be ADD and you can be a hotel magnet. Nobody knows the secret to wealth. Because if everybody knew it, everyone would engage in a single business. And you know what? There would be no peace. There would, no be, there would be no place for everybody. So not knowing how to make money. There's two things. Number one, it comes to teach us that the secret to wealth is not in our hands. Listen, people, it's not in our hands. It's in the hands of God. You see so many times where you can have the, the cleverest person with the so many degrees and, 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 and has tried absolutely everything and they can't make ends meet. And then you'll see some schlamazel that comes off the road that, you know, um, hasn't got the first clue about anything business and becomes a multimillionaire. Ah. And then there's all of us in between who say we need to do this and we need to do that because this is how we're going to make money. The secret to wealth is held by God. And it is a God-given blessing. Um, and what we need to do as human beings, as Jews, as we need to make the keli. We need to make the vessel through which God can bless us and then leave it up to there. God gives us money or God doesn't choose to give us money. God makes us as wealthy. And obviously we pray and we hope that God 
um, sh- uh, showers his abundant blessings upon us. Um, but the secret to wealth is kept away from us. Also, in hiding that secret to wealth that allows people to diversify, and we've got a beautifully diverse uh, world where everybody everybody utilizes their skills to be a a um, positive member of society. Again, as the Midrash says, if, if everybody knew the secret to wealth, then everybody would engage maybe in one business and there would be no peace. So secret to wealth is a great one. I love it. Number six, another person's thoughts. That is always kept from us because if this was known, it would be impossible to live. Now, this is um, something that, uh, you know, I think is, is probably one of the greatest challenges that uh, a human being, that, 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 that we have, is that we don't know what's going on in the other person's mind. And um, nine out of ten times, or 99 out of a hundred times, we go about judging another person because we think we know what they're thinking and what they're doing. But we know, we know the truth. The truth is, is that sometimes, that, that people's perceptions, the way that people will look at things can be completely different to what we actually think it, it, it can be. And this is an incredible insight that if we knew exactly what the other person was thinking about, it would be impossible to live because we would never be able to make free choice. We would never be able to practice giving the benefit of the doubt. We would never be able to go beyond the letter of the law and do something for somebody who's not deserving. We'd be very, very judgmental. It would just actually be impossible to live. So God gave us an incredible, incredible gift, and that is that we can never read another person's mind. Even if you're the greatest psychologist, psychiatrist, you've studied the mind, you've studied behaviors, it's actually quite um, awe-inspiring. When you, if, 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 if you have the ability to sit down and listen to another person's perceptions to see how another person can color their life in a completely different palette to you. Um, and, and that is part of our growth. That is part of us being part of the world that this, um, it's then expected of us to go out and give the benefit of the doubt, to do something for somebody, even though they said X, Y, Z, or they think X, Y, Z. And that really is a blessing for us because we grow as people. So um, another person's thoughts, also a great one. Love, love, love that. And finally, <laughs> uh, there's one thing now that I'm not so sure that we can say that it's pertinent today because um, we kind of have got extra X-ray eyes, but it says that the contents of a pregnant pregnant woman's womb, whether it is a man or female, is hidden from us. Well, that generally was the truth until, you know, a couple of decades ago. Today, it's easy peasy. Um, It's shown to absolutely everybody. Um, You know, you can go and you can have a scan when you're pregnant, and they generally do get it right. Um, I'm not sure. I've got to be honest why that now is still something um, that the Torah says is hidden. But I do, I do, I can say the following. I know of quite a few cases where um, a couple has been told that they'll have a boy and out popped a girl or vice versa. So it's not completely known. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, 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 it's pretty good if you're looking on a scan 
It's even better if you're doing some genetic testing. All of those, all of those things are true. But um, nevertheless, you know, uh, it says that there is a specific point early in pregnancy that one can pray for the sex of the baby, and those things can be changed. So out of all of them, let's just quickly go through them again. Your day of death, you do not know about. The arrival of Mashiach, you won't know. Um, the, the, when the dominance of Edom, of the Western civilization, will fall, you don't know. You do not know the depth of law, meaning you do not know exactly what is morally right or wrong. Um, you do not know the secret of wealth. You do not know another person's thoughts. And uh, lastly, it says that one does not know whether it is a male or a female. So I guess right now that, um, I guess at conception, you don't know if it's a male or female, but very, very shortly afterwards, within six days of uh, of conception, one can, if one wanted through genetic testing, find out whether it is a male or a female. We're going to go for a, a wee little bit of a break, and then we are going to sum up um, what is now happening with um, Isaac and his dialogue with Asav. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Well, when you're having fun and you're learning and uh, you know you're completely involved, time flies and time fly, time time has indeed flown for us. And we're coming to the close of my show. So what we just need to know is that Yitzhak really said to Asab that he could sense that this point in time when he has called Asab that the angels were praising God so intensely that he could feel the gates of blessing had opened. And since he was old and he did not know when he was going to die, he wanted to now impart the blessings. One last thing the Midrash does say is that when a person comes within five years of the age at which his parents died, he must start concerning himself about his own demise. So since uh, Sarah died when she was 127 years old, we said that Yitzhak was 123. He was beginning to prepare for his own death. No, he did not expect himself to die the next day. So I don't want anybody going and becoming hysterical about it. But that was um, that was the motivation between Yitzchak, uh, for Yitzhak asking Asab to start preparing him food. We're going to have to have that whole discussion next week as to why he needed food for the blessing. But I'm going to keep you in suspense. And we'll get back with uh, with each other next week, same time, same place, and we will share further insights. Hope you enjoyed the show, and I wish each and every one of you a beautiful week ahead. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.